Where's our festival, fam? It's peak festival season, and what do you need for any festival you hit up besides an outfit that slays? Hydration. You know you're heading to that festival knowing you're going to be super dehydrated when you leave, whether it's from the elements or just some activities you may partake in during that day and night. This is where Liquid IV comes in. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of sports drinks. My favorite is how I can just slip one of the convenient pouches into my fanny pack and dance the day away. And with amazing flavors like passion fruit, my fave, guava, and the new strawberry lemonade and sea berry, you really can't go wrong. Liquid IV contains five essential vitamins, vitamin C, B3, B5, B6, B12. I could not be, you see what I did there, any more stoked about this product. And we love a company that gives back. Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 3 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. What are you waiting for? Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code gruesome at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code gruesome at liquidiv.com. You're already using this product. Why not get a discount on something you already love? Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie, and along with, I lost my train of thought, Barbie girl Meg. And tonight she is going to tell us about Bobby Greenlease. Yay. Before we talk about that, uh, Connie posted something on Spotify, a question asking about the last episode. And um, you we heard guys you. are mad. <laughs> <laughs> We heard and we honestly feel kind of yucky about it too. So we are adjusting. The world of podcasts is a murky one. It's just you don't always know what's right or what's work, what works. And every month and every week we learn a little bit more. So and we can kind of because neither one of us have podcasting experience, and honestly, neither one of us know people close to us who have podcasts so it's not like we can be like hey we're not like familiar with the with the people in the industry you know i think yeah so we think about podcasts you think like oh i bet these people talk but no we don't (laughs) and we never wanted to be the people that they were like oh that used to be so good and now they have five to ten ads every two minutes and We can only go by what people in the industry tell us when they're like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Five ads. It's not that big of a deal. And we did that last week. We don't like it. it. We did it last week. And we were like, "Uh, honestly, as soon as I saw all of those reviews and like I Meg doesn't really read reviews, but I take every single one to heart and I like listen to the constructive criticism and I messaged Meg and I was like, hey, are you good with not doing this? Like two to three, we'll do it like more strategically placed. Like we'll make sure like our back catalog isn't getting like bombarded with all of these ads. And we come to you humbly being like, our bad. 
our please bad. don't We're hate just us learning Whoa. yeah please don't hate us we're sorry <laughs> you know that we are the people that will apologize when we mess up so this is us apologizing ensuring you that we're asking for advice honestly like if you have yeah. like what are your suggestions you know we're trying to trying to make this stuff for you but like what do you guys want to hear like what do you guys what if we do ads what kind of ads do you want to hear like hit us up shoot us a dm whatever you got and starting tomorrow today whenever you're listening to this um you're gonna be able to might be a little while later after the episode comes out like later in the day just because of the way youtube processes things but we are the same day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah we are throwing our episodes you'll have the youtube ads but we are throwing them up on youtube just popping them on Listen there through there um if you we like, do it's go ahead sorry <laughs> oh sorry i was gonna say uh we have a one dollar a month patron like patreon tier right now where you get ad free episodes and that was we call it like the no bs tier you don't get anything else but to kind of offset because there's a ton of you that pay a buck a month and honestly by the time taxes and stuff come out we don't really see any of that anyways <laughs> but um we're gonna also give you the one dollar tier members access to our live stream hangout every month which um, is our favorite part of the month it's our favorite part of the month it was a hoot last week so uh yeah connie is a wild sheer wild man <laughs> yeah, I drank too much and I was having echoes. It was a weird night. It was a weird night. It was it was a it was a fun one. But yes, yeah. so we're <laughs> we come to you at your altar begging for forgiveness. I am once again coming to you asking for your support. <laughs> uh thank you guys. We appreciate you when you even if you get annoyed with us whenever you come back around. We thanks. You're cute. All of you. Love you. Okay. Episode? (laughs) Yes. So this episode um, has big, like, Lindbergh kidnapping vibes. Okay. I'll preface it. That was one of my first true crime cases I've read, like, read about. That that you got into? Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. such an interesting one. So the triggers, I suppose, are crimes against children and crime that occurs at a school. Oof, that's a tough one. It is, and especially especially in this world. On September 28th, 1953, it was a normal day at the French Institute of Notre Dame de Sion in Kansas City, Missouri. But I, 19- okay. What? <laughs> I'm going to stop you because that is not where I expected that location to be. <laughs> I was like, oh, we're going to Paris this week. And then you said Kansas City. I was like, wasn't expecting that. Nope. It is a school in Missouri. So good for you, Kansas City. Um, In 1953, as we know, the world was a much different place. Adults were maybe wrongfully so. They were just more trusting of other adults. And that's probably why we don't trust anyone else anymore. Because we've like, you know what? No, we've learned better. But when a strange woman came to the front door of the school at 1055 on September 28th, no one really questioned her intentions. 
this mystery woman explained that she was there to pick up Robert, lovingly called Bobby Cosgrove Greenlees Jr. And the teachers were kind of wary. They didn't know her, but she convinced both the staff and Bobby that she was there to pick him up. She did draw attention to herself because the mystery woman seemed anxious. She was described as fidgety and nervous by school personnel, but she told them that the situation was serious. She said that she was Bobby's aunt and that his mother had suffered a heart attack. She Ooh. said Bobby's mother was in the hospital and he needed to come with her immediately. And Bobby kind of calmed the teacher's like suspicions after he was pulled from class and brought to the front office because the woman got down on his level and explained, hey, you need to come with me. And Bobby was a trusting little boy. Like When an adult told him to do something, he did it. Like most six-year-olds, they trusted and believed the adults. He trusted and believed the adults that took the time to speak with him. And Bobby's parents told everyone how he was just an easygoing little boy who never gave them any problems. He was described by his teachers as happy and always striving to please. And he always did what he was told. So after hearing about his mom and how he needed to go with this woman, Bobby took the hand of the mystery woman and left. Personal claimed that they didn't think Bobby would have been so easygoing about leaving with this woman if he didn't know her. They were like, oh, well, he went with her and he was fine with it. He didn't seem weird. He just left. And after Bobby Greenlees left the French Institute with his quote-unquote aunt, who she claimed to be, Sister Moreland, one of the nuns at the school, later recalled that just Bobby went to her with no hesitation. They walked out the front door. The woman had an arm around his shoulder and she was holding his other hand and they entered a taxi. Bobby showed no fear or confusion. At 1130, Sister Marthana called the Greenleys home to ask about Mrs. Greenleys. But to her surprise, Mrs. Greenleys answered the phone. So this is like 30 minutes later. She calls the house. She's like, you know what? We're going to call the house, see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Greenlees answered the phone. So imagine her surprise when she learned that she was perfectly fine. But Mrs. Greenlees was now no longer fine. She immediately called her husband, Robert, and he rushed home from work while Mrs. Greenlees alerted the Kansas City police. Shortly after, the police chief alerted the FBI because in the span of just 30 minutes, it became very clear that the sweet little Bobby Greenleys had been abducted by this mystery woman. The woman who had left with Bobby had entered a cab, so investigators started by tracking down the cab driver, Willard Pearson Creech. He was a cab driver, he was working with the Toadman Cab Company of Kansas City, Missouri, and he was totally compliant, absolutely willing to help in any way that he could. He told investigators that that morning a woman had entered his cab asking to be taken to the school, and the description that Creech gave fit the woman who had taken Bobby. Before exiting the cab, after he stopped in front of the school, she had told Creech to wait 
for her in his taxi outside the front doors. She said that she also needed to go to the Cats drugstore at Maine and Westport in Kansas City. Only 11 minutes after stopping in front of the school, the woman came out with the young boy fitting the description of Bobby Greenlee's. Willard Creech told police that he last saw the pair stopped at the back of an early 1950s blue vehicle with Kansas license plates. But why? Yeah. Why would someone kidnap a six-year-old little boy and just take them from their school? The Greenlees family quickly learned why because they received their first ransom letter just a few hours after Bobby was kidnapped. The letter was postmarked at 6 p.m. and designated for special delivery. It made the intentions of the kidnappers very clear. The demand was for $600,000 in 1953 money. That's a lot of money. That's a, it's $5 million in today's money. It's a lot of money. $600,000 placed in a duffel bag with no bills larger than 20s. The kidnappers promised the safe return of Bobby within just 24 hours, contingent upon receiving all of the demanded ransom money with no little tricks attempted by investigators. This letter was the first of several. They received as many as six ransom letters and 15 phone calls. Jesus. The next ransom letter was much more chilling. The next communication between the kidnappers and the green leases was sent via a letter on September 29th, the very next day. It was postmarked for 9.30 p.m. and once again sent special delivery. The letter contained a Jerusalem medal that Bobby always wore and again called for $600,000 to be given for the safe return of Bobby. The ransom note said that Bobby was safe, but he was becoming quite homesick and wanted to see his mommy, which is really sad. Yeah, that's awful. The phone calls kept coming in, and there is a transcript of one of them where the man on the line calls himself M. So Mrs. Greenlease answers. She says, hello, this is Mrs. Greenlease. And he replies, M speaking. She says, we have the money, but we must know that our son is alive and doing well. Could you at least give me that? Can't you give me something that will assure that? M says, this is a reasonable request. To be completely frank with you, this boy is driving us nuts. We couldn't possibly risk taking him to a phone. Mrs. Greenlee says, well, I can only imagine. Can you do this then? Can you ask him two questions? Give me the answer to the two questions. Well, Mrs. Greenlee says, if I have the answer to these two questions, I would trust and know that my son is alive and well. And so he says, all right. And she says, ask him the name of our driver in Europe from this summer. He says, all right. And the second question is, what did you build with the monkey blocks in your playroom the last night you were home with us? If you can get those answers for me, I will feel better. I will feel relieved. You know that this is the only thing that I want. And M says, we have the boy. He's alive and well. Believe me, he's literally driving us crazy. And she's like, yes, he's a very active little boy. And he's just keep saying that he's driving us crazy and that just continued like you can tell that the people on this phone call are really delighted by these phone calls they like 
they deliberately extended negotiations and contacted them multiple times because they thought it was funny. That's sick. It's super sick. And the story about Bobby Greenlease and his abduction attracted national media attention. The entire country was terrified for his parents and screamed for the safe return of little Bobby. No one wanted him home more than his mom and dad, and they did pay that ransom, which at the time was the largest ransom in American history. Because, again, $600,000 in today's in 1953 money is $5 million today. The final communication from Bobby's abductors was a phone call on, at 1 a.m. on October 5th, 1953, directly to the Greenlease residence. Again, the family was assured that Bobby was safe. They told them that they had received the ransom money, and they promised that Bobby would be released within 24 hours. But this was the last time they spoke with him. The abductors... Carl Hall and Bonnie Heady never actually had any intention of returning Bobby to his family. Bonnie was the mystery woman who had taken Bobby Greenlees from his school, only a few miles away where they met up with Carl Austin Hall. Bonnie and Bobby got into a Plymouth station wagon with Carl and traveled to Johnson County, Kansas, and it was here that Carl Hall shot Bobby Greenlease with a Smith & Wesson 38 caliber revolver the very same day he was taken from his school. Oh my god. But these negotiations were going from the 28th until October 5th. That's So they gross. just continued to give these parents hope and, and it, like to steal their money. And I, I don't know if I missed this, but were they like a well-off family? Were they well-known? Yeah, I'm going to tell you in just a second. Oh, okay. They actually, in the next paragraph. Carl Hall was the son of a prestigious St. Louis lawyer. He never had to work for a living. His father passed away in 1946 and left him a fortune of $200,000. So, like, if $600,000 is $5 million, like, $200,000 should be enough to last you for you to live comfortably yeah Yeah. but carl blew through that whole thing and after the he lost that money he got a job psych he did not get a job he started robbing taxi cab drivers and he was eventually arrested for this when he was arrested he had stolen a whole 38 dollars he was tried and found guilty of robbery and had to serve 16 months in a state prison but he was released on April 24th, 1953, only five months before Bobby's abduction. While serving his 16-month sentence at the Missouri State Prison, Hull had already started planning the kidnapping and murder of Bobby Greenlease. Bobby was the son of one of the wealthiest men in Kansas City, Missouri. Robert Cosgrove Greenlee Sr. owned a car dealership and had gained a very large hunk of his fortune via the introduction of General Motors to the Midwest. Carl had gone to military school with Bobby's adopted brother. So he knew of Bobby and he knew of Robert and he also grew up in wealth. So he knew of the people in the area that were wealthy. 
On April 24, 1953, Carl Hall stepped out of prison and into the arms of Bonnie. Bonnie Brown Heady was 41 years old at the time and recently widowed. Bonnie had been a gun smuggler in the 30s, and it was in this line of work that she had met a bank robber named Dan Heady. Dan was a smuggler, a bank robber, just a real swell guy from the late 20s to the late 30s. Dan married Bonnie in 1935, and he had been arrested many times, and eventually in an attempt to escape from prison, he was gunned down by the police. Oof. Bonnie had only ever heard of Carl, but she was just like, yep, this is the guy for me. So when he met her outside of prison, he had never actually met her before, and she just started... She just walked up to him and, like, kissed him. But she just, his reputation preceded him, I guess. So she took him to her house in St. Joseph, Missouri, and the two of them hatched this plan to kidnap Bobby in between their um, heroin use and rampant drinking. Hall had planned out most of the major details in prison, and Heidi was now helping with the details like, okay, how are we going to actually get the ransom money without authorities intervening? So the Greenleases had paid the money to in full to the kidnappers, completely unaware that Bobby had already been murdered on the day of the abduction. After receiving the ransom money, Carl Hall and Bonnie Heidi drove 380 miles to St. Louis, Missouri. Hall was extremely paranoid. He was certain that the authorities were after him. Spoiler alert, they were. And to ease his paranoia, Hall purchased two metal suitcases, two metal suitcases to safely store 300,000 of the $600,000 he had in cash because that's two suitcases. He had, the money had come in like a duffel bag, and so he had thrown the duffel bag with $300,000 in cash in it into an ash pit near St. Louis to hide Jeez. it. He was like, because he was paranoid, he was like, they're on to me, I better hide this half of the money. To hide out, Hall and Heidi had rented an apartment on Arsenal Street in St. Louis so late on October 5th, Carl and Bonnie arrived at that apartment in St. Louis. And Bonnie at the time was absolutely wasted. And within minutes, she had passed out in the apartment. And that was exactly what Carl had wanted to happen. Because as soon as she was asleep, Carl took the money and left. He put $2,000 in her purse and just got out of Dodge. Dipped with the rest of it. What a fucking troll. Yeah. And not to mention, like, the fact that half of it is just in a duffel bag, and she probably knows where that duffel bag is. Yeah. Like, logic's not logicking. The next day, on October 6th, Hall went to a local hardware store and purchased two garbage cans and a shovel. He was still growing increasingly suspicious and paranoid of authorities finding out who he was and tracking him down. So he got a rental car... <laughs> and drove with his garbage cans and shovel to the Merrimack River in St. Louis County because he was going to find a place to bury his money. Jeez. And 
he was unsuccessful in that as well. So he just left the garbage cans and went back to his new location, the Coral Quartz Motel. That's where he was staying, and his paranoia was literally ripping his brain apart. He was suspicious of anyone who even looked in his direction. So that afternoon, he decided he was going to leave the motel and go to a different hotel called the Townhouse in St. Louis and get a different room. He called a taxi to take him to the Townhouse Hotel, and on the afternoon of October 6th at approximately 3.30 p.m., St. Louis police received a phone call from John Oliver Hager. Hager was a driver for the Ace Cab Cab Company in St. Louis, and the information he provided to police led to the arrest of Carl Hall on the evening of October 6th, 1953, at the Townhouse Hotel. Because probably traveling with two suitcases full of cash just isn't the best idea. Like... Can you imagine just two full suitcases? Hold on, sir. He opens it up. No clothes. Just money. And, like, I don't understand why they had to murder him. Like, they were paying the ransom. Just let him go back. Yeah, but they had murdered him before they had even sent their first ransom letter. They're gross. Yeah, they are gross. So, when they arrested Hall, he was like, my name is John James Byrne. But later that evening, Hall led police to Arsenal Street to the apartment where Bonnie was staying and police entered the residence in the late hours of October 6th and Bonnie was arrested as well. And so began the interrogations by the FBI. Hall was interrogated numerous times and put together this illustration of his involvement And he insisted that all $600,000 of the ransom money was in his possession. It wasn't. And he admitted to most of the allegations and he admitted to the planning and abduction of Bobby. He also admitted to burying Bobby Greenlease on Bonnie Heaty's property. He even admitted that he had picked up the ransom money. He did not, however, admit to the actual murder of Bobby Greenlease. Carl Hall told police that Bobby had been murdered by a guy named Tom Marsh. Oh, likely. Yeah, likely likely story, Carl. Carl Hall said that he and Heidi kidnapped Bobby Greenleaf, and afterward they had given the boy to Tom Marsh. The couple had just been middlemen in a scheme to extort money from Robert Greenleaf Sr. because he owned a very successful car dealership. Tom Marsh had been the one who had killed Bobby, and it was only then that he had agreed to bury the body in a shallow grave by the porch of Bonnie's house. But of course, Tom Marsh is not a real person, and he was (laughs) interrogated for hours and eventually broke down and admitted that, yes, he and Bonnie were the only parties involved in the abduction and murder. The body of Bobby was discovered by police the next day, October 7th, 1953, in St. Joseph, Missouri. At 8.40 a.m., police found the shallow grave Carl Hall had dug while investigating the residence of Bonnie Heaty. The body was discovered buried near the front corner of the porch. Bobby's body was wrapped in plastic bags and covered in lime, the Greenlease family had their dentist report the location to positively identify the body. 
Oof. And that, I know, that's terrible. And at 1.05 p.m. on October 7th, it was officially determined by DNA and dental records that the, it was the body of Robert Cosgrove Greenlees Jr. During the full examination of the house, investigators found large blood stains on the basement floor and the steps entering the Heaty house. Blood stains were also found on two separate rugs and on one of Bonnie's nylon blouses. This evidence suggested that the body had been moved several times. In addition to the bloodstains, there were several 38 caliber shell casings in the house. The FBI determined that the casings had been fired from a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver, the same revolver that had been found in Carl Hall's possession at the time of his arrest. They also discovered a bullet on the floorboard of the Plymouth station wagon owned by Bonnie Heady. And that had also been fired from the same revolver. The evidence paired with their confessions allowed investigators to indict Carl Hall and Bonnie Heady for the murder of Bonnie Bobby Greenlees. Carl Hall told investigators the events of his murder in full gruesome detail on October 11th. He explained that he and Bonnie had taken the victim from Kansas City, Missouri to Overland Park, Kansas. It was here that Carl Hall murdered Bobby by firing multiple rounds from his 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. Hall then explained that they transported the body of Bobby 45 minutes away to St. Joseph, Missouri and buried the body near the porch in a shallow grave before planting flowers on top of it. Bonnie Heady made some confessions herself. She admitted to assisting Carl with the ransom letters and providing the instructions of the ransom money drop-off to the Greenleys family. Heady did say that she had been the mystery woman who had picked the little boy up from school on the morning of September 28th, and she detailed the lie that she had told the school to convince officials to let Bobby leave with her. Carl Hall and Bonnie Heady were tried on October 30th, 1953, just a month over after their crimes. Judge Albert L. Reeves presided over the case in federal court, and in St. Louis, Missouri, both Hall and Heady entered guilty pleas. On November 19th, the jury deliberated for just one hour and eight minutes after hearing the disgusting details of the case. The jury was responsible for giving a verdict, but this, the whole nation wanted justice for Bobby. Testimony reports and newspapers revealed that this had been planned and it had been planned well in advance and everyone demanded the death penalty. So after the jury's deliberations, both Carl and Bonnie were recommended for the death penalty by the jury. Judge Reeves deliberated for 15 minutes before agreeing that death by execution fit the crime, and he sentenced them both to be executed on December 18th of that same year. Judge Reeves said, It is the most cold-blooded, brutal murder I have ever tried. And Bonnie Heady famously sneered, I'd rather be dead than poor after the sentence announcement. Uh. Yeah. On October 18, 1953, Carl Hall and Bonnie Heady were executed in the gas chamber. 
less than three months after the kidnapping and murder of Bobby Greenlees. Carl Hall was pronounced dead at 12.12 a.m., and Bonnie Heady was pronounced dead just 20 seconds later. I think that's so crazy that they were found, convicted, and sentenced to the death penalty and executed in three months. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't waste any time with that. Absolutely. Like that, a world, <laughs> I can't imagine a world in when that, that would even happen anymore because there would be appeals and there would be yeah. A million other things stopping it from happening. And I know, like, I am not particularly pro-death penalty. But just the fact that it was like, bam, 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 done, showed how outraged everyone was over this murder. Yeah, that's... It's like they were setting a precedence. They were like, you cannot come to Missouri and murder children. <laughs> Do not fuck with Missouri. You have been warned. <laughs> I love my Blendjet 2 Portable. I make breakfast smoothies in the morning with just some almond milk, frozen fruit, yogurt, and I can walk out the door with breakfast in hand in less than a minute. It's so easy to clean up and you get to see the cool little water tornado it makes when you rinse out whatever you just blended. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, you can do a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up your entire house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges so quickly via USB-C. And best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. You just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. If they have it in a certain color, will you get it? Well, you're in luck because Blendjet has more than 30 colors and patterns to choose from. You should definitely check out the Disney prints. They are very cute. I need a Buzz Lightyear one. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Um, there's actually a little bit more. So officially, only half of that $600,000 ransom has ever been recovered by authorities. I got to go to um, Missouri. <laughs> so they found the duffel bag in the ash pit. But inv investigators were trying to locate the rest of the money because the two suitcases were gone. They had arrested him at his hotel, but the suitcases were never brought into police headquarters at the time of that arrest. Oh, I know where that money went. <laughs> well, they thought they did, too. They had zero evidence. I will say this. Zero evidence. But the state pursued charges against Lieutenant Louis Ira Shoulders and Patrolman Elmer Dolan, the men who made the arrest for stealing the suitcases full of money during that arrest. 
because that was the only feasible explanation for them. That was like, this is the only thing it could have been. So you guys are going to jail. Um, Shoulders was found guilty on April 15th, 1954 and sentenced to three years in federal prison. And Elmer Dolan was tried on March 31st, found guilty, sentenced to two years in federal prison. Both were convicted of perjury and they just served their time and returned to the St. Louis area. But Lieutenant Shoulders passed away um, May 12th, 1962. And Elmer Dolan was actually pardoned by President Lyndon B. Johnson on July 21st, 1965 because of the lack of evidence and the fact that they now believe that they just picked them and convicted them so that they could close the case. They were like, nope, we're done with this. We yeah, because it could have been it. anyone. It could have been like... It could have been people that worked at the hotel. That's what I was thinking. Like, that's what I was thinking. So they, they were like, arrested. that bellhop is living the good life now. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even put a two-week notice in. He was just like, um, I gotta go. And he disappeared to the beaches of Mexico. Well, because everybody that. knew they paid the ransom. Everybody knew they paid the ransom. So if yeah. you're if you're just some like bellhop delivery, you know, whatever, or just like some maintenance man or housekeeper or front desk person, and you hear, oh, you're under the arrest for the abduction of body Bobby Greenleaf, and they're like, wait a second, the money is here. <laughs> it's right here. I can smell it. Yeah, someone. Someone did very well for themselves that day, um, but I don't think that it was these police officers. No, that's and unfortunate. You know, they were just trying to do their job. They were, and then they were like, you know what? You guys, wrong place, wrong time. You are going to go to jail. I mean, we need a patsy, and you look like a patsy. Yeah, it wasn't that long, but it's still... That's a like, long time, though, to be in like a federal three prison. Three years in jail is not... Not for the faint of heart, I don't believe. I don't know. I've never been to jail yet. So <laughs> there's we, still time. Uh, there's still time for me to experience that firsthand. Some I might be driven to the brink of craziness at some point. Who knows? I did um, an escape room from jail once, like escape from jail escape room, and that was a I've never done an escape room. Did you like it? I was obsessed. Did you win? Did you yeah, escape? With like five <gasps> seconds to go. Oh my gosh. Tell me about it. What's it like? Well, we went, we did one in Gatlinburg and that one had, I guess there are some escape rooms that you do that are, um, if you ask for hints that takes time, like your available time off. And this was not mm. one of them. So, oh, so did you ask for hints? Yeah. The, cause like we had to work together cause there was only four of us. So like we worked together with, uh, like on our side, there was four of us and then you get like another group that, uh, comes in too. And like, so you have to work with people you don't know. No, I don't like that. They're going to sabotage I think if, me. If you go in a big enough group, you don't have to, but like it was just me and my husband. So like we just got kind of. <laughs> so so you needed people. some help. You were like, look, I'm going to need some backup on this. Yeah. Just send my literally just anyone there. in here. <laughs> but it makes you use your brain so much. And like when you start to like see the clues piece together, you're like, it is intoxicating. I am a detective. This is everything I ever dreamed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My husband just stood back there like a doof. Like he was like, I'm going to let her do her thing. 
Well, but it was dope. He probably would have induced some kind of rage if he had interrupted you. Like, he, if you're like hyper focused on like solving it, and you're like this, it's clicking into place, and he's like, "Hey, what about?" You're like, no, and I'm like, "Fuck off!" You're really escaping from prison. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I would love to do one sometime. I think it sounds pretty fun. I would love to do one with you. We should do that. We should do an escape room. Um, I like watching TikToks of the people who run the escape rooms when they have to like sneak in and like move clues around while you're in there. Like that's scary to me. That's like low key. That's horror movie stuff. Mm -hmm. Like what if I could see a horror movie where they like go into an escape room and like the oh, person really, it's like that. it's pretty much saw though right that yeah that's saw. Saw the ultimate escape room. <laughs> actually never mind that movie's been made i take it back <laughs> but if you did start it like if you had a movie where it was just like a group of teenagers young adults going into an escape room and then people start getting knocked off one by one and they're like oh it's just the game it could be like that's like clue, you know? Yeah. Oof. It Wolf. could work. It could work. Someone can have that movie idea. That's all yours. <laughs> but they I will tell you, when it releases, they're gonna be like, this is just a knockoff of song. <laughs> it's like yeah. a song clue had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Saw clue, you get escape. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oof. I know. I Man. just, I thought about the Lindbergh case and I was looking at it and I, it's like on the list, right? To cover, but this one popped up when you look up that and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. And I've never heard down, of this one either. Down the rabbit hole I went, as we know. I feel so awful for his parents. Yeah, that's, I can't, I, and just the fact that, and his teachers, you know, everyone mm -hmm. in his life who, you know, you send your kid to school and you're like, oh, you have a good day. And then you get a phone call like, hey, are you in the hospital? What's going on? And, and just like you're I can imagine how a stomach might just drop and be like, no. Oh, yeah. That's so scary. But that's why they have the rules like they do now. Like my our oldest needed picked up from school and my husband went to pick him up. But in the time since he had last been seen, like at the school, he grew his beard. Mm -hmm. so they didn't recognize them and they were like okay yeah one second we'll be right back and they went into another office and they were like excuse me do you know that this man is here i'm like yeah that's my husband Good. <laughs> he just he just looks weird now i can't even I remember him without a beard i can it's a vivid weird memory <laughs> you're like i wish i couldn't remember him without a beard he has such a baby face without it he looks like a whole different person I'm definitely Ugh. team beard, though. I wish I could grow a beard, honestly. I probably could. Every morning, I grind up whole bean coffee and make a French press because I find that I get a better tasting cup. And when Laird Superfood asked us to give an honest testimony of their coffee, I was ready to let the coffee snob in me rage. But I was pleasantly surprised. Their whole bean Peruvian medium roast coffee was really good. It was smooth and rich. You could tell that it was slow roasted. And then I got to try the Peruvian with extracts of functional mushrooms. And I was a little bit nervous. I had heard about the benefits of mushrooms like cordyceps and lion's mane and chaga, but I was afraid of the taste. 
and layered superfood proved me wrong again. Not only was it delicious, but I did feel more alert and focused and less anxious than I normally do after drinking a cup or three. It was just an added bonus that all layered products are sustainably sourced and thoroughly tested to ensure that you're incorporating the cleanest, finest fuel into your routine. I appreciate their all-natural whole food ingredients with honest and transparent labeling. If you appreciate a good cup of coffee, I think you will too. Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com gruesome and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code gruesome at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. I went to the trampoline park and this teenage boy uh, was like hooking up my harness so I could do like the sky uh, obstacle course. And he was like, do you have a cleft lip? <laughs> I was, it caught me off guard, one, because normally teenage boys don't ask me that. Um, but I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, my dad has one. Oh, <laughs> sweet boy. It was so funny to me. Like, I was like legitimately, I was I started talking to him and I was like, oh, yeah. Did your dad have a mustache? And he was like, Yeah. How did you know that? I was like, normally when dudes have a cleft lip, they can grow a mustache. And they usually will grow a mustache to hide like their scarring or their covers. I was like, but I can't do that. I can't grow a mustache to hide my scar. So I just, I thought it was funny. It was really cute though that he was like, I don't know. I've, dude, I'm a hairy teenage... bitch. I could grow a mustache. <laughs> 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 Like, I can grow one, but it's not enough to cover anything. It's going to be like a dirt stash. Like, I'm going to look like the guy singing that weedest song, Teenage Dirtbag. Like, that's what I picture. Just like, I'm going to look like that teenage boy's mustache. <laughs> I feel like I could grow a pretty gnarly one. I would love for you to try. Like, maybe no, when you have, <laughs> you work from home. No one would know. <laughs> no, because when uh, I had my seven degree sunburn on my face, I couldn't wax because I was really nervous that it was. Oh, you wax. Like it was like fresh. Yeah, I'm a waxer. It was like a fresh no baby skin type thing. And I was like, I don't know how sensitive the skin is. I was only washing my face with like honest brand shampoo at that point. So I was like, I don't know what to do. This is so new to me. It's all. She's like using it a baby hurts shampoo. so bad. <laughs> and. My husband was like, all right, Connie, like, I'm not trying to be that person. Like, you do you, but I can see your mustache from across the, <laughs> the across the living room. And my son was like, oh, you have a bigger mustache than I do. Like, that's not a compliment, sir. I was like, are you For jealous? You. you jealous? I'm a razor girl. I just shave that thing right off. No, I can't. I used to when I was in like fifth grade and this kid. In fifth grade? You were, I wasn't even allowed to shave in fifth grade. No, my mom didn't know, but a kid or because he like <laughs> we were playing mat ball in fifth grade and I had never been self-conscious about anything in my entire life. And he was like, oh, look at you. You have a mustache. And I felt <gasps> like I wanted to die because he said it in front of a bunch of people. And I went home that day and like a true man, I just shaved. <laughs> like a true man I got the razor out you know I think mine was fifth or sixth grade when um, a boy pointed out my mustache as well I was like sitting across from him on the bus like I was in one seat and he was the other and he was like 
hey, you got more of a mustache than I do. Exactly those words. And I was like, okay. And I said exactly what I just said. That doesn't sound like that's very cool for you. And I looked out the window angrily. 34-year-old Connie wants to look at little Corey and be like, yeah, my balls <laughs> have dropped further too, you twat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like just, you want to fight? That's okay. That was a you traumatizing know, like, memory for me. Like, I did not just, know. Oh, <laughs> the person who said it to me, I had the locker next to them for every year of school from sixth grade until senior year. Now I'm thinking in my head, like, like, who would have been around you? I'll tell you after. But, okay. <laughs> but this kid, every, oh. I thought about it every day, too, and I saw him like, what an asshole. Mm. I had the. I bring up this story about Matt Ball in fifth grade and this kid to my boys because when they're talking about uh like I they trash talk like their friends and stuff like whatever I we were talking about like not talking like that to girls because like if you hit on something like you're trying to be funny but it's something they're insecure about they're gonna remember it like I cannot let this go that was my very and I think it's because it was my very first taste of being insecure about something and I felt sick when he said it like I felt Aww. physically ill, like nervous, real sweaty. I didn't want to go back to school. Poor baby. And now I've like, had I a similar like... talk recently where I was like, look, if you're talking to people and you want to point something out, if they can't change that in five seconds, you don't say anything. If you're mm -hmm. like, That's hey, you role. got some stuff in your teeth, they can pick that out in five seconds. But if you say, hey, you have a big forehead. They can't change their forehead. Don't talk about it. Leave it alone. That's not that's not your place to say anything about their bodies or how they look. Yep. I got real impassioned about it. And I my oldest has a friend who we were at my middle son's soccer game this weekend. And this kid is usually the sweetest boy like he is one of my favorite kids usually we know usually. something's coming <laughs> but we are sitting there and one of the girls on the other team was a lot taller than the rest of the kids and he loudly pointed it out and when I tell you this kid is not my kid and I tore his ass a new one like I <laughs> am surprised because I was like hey you're not going to talk about her like that or you're not going to be here. You guys can walk back to my house, but you're not going to come to a game that I'm at and talk to people like that. And he was like, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm like, you think I said, you think she doesn't know she's the tallest kid out there. I was like, what if her parents are sitting right here? Because you're being loud about this. I was like, she like you think maybe she's not like maybe she's insecure about it and you're being a jerk. And I think I've got a little triggered because like my daughter is that tall girl. You know, she's the tall one in all of it. She's, like, taller than everybody in her classes. <laughs> My husband was like, I think you went too far. I was like, I bet he never comments on anything about a girl like I that I bet he again, never though. fucking speaks again. <laughs> Not <laughs> around you, for sure. But that was <laughs> the second, like, teenage boys are, like, oh, they don't, and it's, it's not a malicious thing. It's like, a, they just don't think about it. Like, they're like, oh, wait, huh? Wait, I'm not allowed to say that? She can't hear me. Oh, she probably could. <laughs> she's just gotten really good at ignoring you ignoring people and she shouldn't have to no like I wanted to look at her and be like are you jealous sir <laughs> young man 
Well, it's life is weird. Like of all of the memories we have our entire lives, like we both have the one where someone told us we have a mustache, <laughs> like just locked in <laughs> for the very first time. <laughs> uh, that's so like sad, honestly. It makes like, it's something I... that you lose a lot of like most of your memories before age 10. Like you remember pretty much nothing. Well, like, I'm pretty that. sure I was like nine when that happened and it's in there. <laughs> yeah, I I also have really, really thick eyebrows. Like if I don't do and had They're someone power told me, brows. Had someone told me like when you get older, these are gonna be the shit. Don't change anything about them. But I had a unibrow when I was like three. And it was always something like after the mustache got pointed out to me, I realized like the eyebrows and I was like, oh God, what do I do? Spiral. It's a slow. My, my mom was like, you can't wax your eyebrows until middle school. And like now I'm looking at like my daughter. I'm like, well, whenever you want. I'm not going to tell you you need to, but if you decide you want to, like, yeah, let's do it. Go nuts. I'm not going to do it, but I'll take you to somewhere to do it. When I wanted to shave, I remember I came to my dad with like a plan. I was like, Dad, hello. I am here to make a bargain with you. Which it's is like how Shark I Tank. Always... It was literally the Shark was Tank like... of shaving. It was the Shark Tank of me trying to shave my legs. And I walked into the living room and I remember it so vividly because I was like, I'm going to fight for my right to shave my legs. And I walked in and I was like, Dad, I'm on the swim team. I'm in sixth grade this year, which means I'm in middle school, and most of the other people on the team shave their legs. I think it's appropriate if I shave my legs, too. And he was just like, fine. And I walked out of there triumphant. Triumphant. Just, just made a deal with the sharks. I'm good to go. <laughs> with a disposable razor. I'm going to cut the go. shit out of myself. <laughs> uh, I hate shaving now, though. I fucking hate it oh like i said i'm a hairy bitch so (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah i think that's good i think you guys yeah we're good we're good you guys know don't feel the need to shave this summer okay let it grow if you don't like shaving go nuts no one cares get a gnarly sunburn because now the past since i've gotten home from florida i haven't been able to shave because when i shave it's skin it's like peeling skin and i'm like it's just flesh just too much too much for me all right guys yeah that's good yeah see you (laughs) next week bye thank you so much for listening to gruesome horrific true crime a zencaster powered podcast seriously we wouldn't be here without them Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers, and if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. 
follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.